Hello and welcome to episode 173 of the Rilo and Slappy Show. Today is December 2nd, 2019, and I am Rilo McFlugel, and with me is Slappy Jones 2. Show notes page for this episode will be mcflugel.com slash 173, where you'll be able to check out the sponsor, libertymugs.com, where you'll be able to find awesome libertarian-themed mugs and t-shirts and stickers and hats. We just had our Black Friday sale, but since... The Christmas season is upon us. Be on the lookout for Christmas sales. And also, you know, there's a deadline. If you want to have these for Christmas gifts, which are these mugs are excellent gifts for your family and friends, whether they're libertarians or not. Um, be make sure that make sure you get your uh, your order in before those deadlines happen. So also on the show notes page, we're going to have links to check out the guest who Slappy is going to introduce. Yeah, our guest today is Zach Weissmuller. Zach is a writer and video journalist who's been producing documentary shorts, video interviews, and feature articles for Reason TV and Reason.com since 2010. Some of his particular areas of interest include the regulation of the internet, the emerging technology, free speech, medical freedom, sentencing reform, and the drug war. Uh, but today, we're going to be talking to him about the situation over in Hong Kong. And I also want to add, he has a video coming out this week on homelessness in, in America that um, sounds like a good, sounds like one that's worth watching. So uh, go over to YouTube and check that out. Um, but without further delay, here's Zach. All right, so welcome to the show, Zach. Uh, what can you tell us about Hong Kong? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so I was in Hong Kong in early September, uh, and while I was there, I was kind of a little bit in the eye of the storm. So there had been some kind of escalating violence, and I went out there, and uh, luckily, while I was there, it was a little bit calmer um, but you know, we're taking safety precautions, obviously. But then um, in recent weeks, uh, it's really escalated again and uh, things are, I'm sure you've seen the video and imagery coming out of there. The, there's been, you know, continue, continued clashes with the police, continued uh, clashes between demonstrators and people who don't agree with the demonstrators. Um, things have turned ugly at times there's been uh kind of just this battle that played out on one of the university campuses where uh several people were injured and arrested people have been shot uh so you know where it's an uh, it's a chaotic and uncertain situation right now um nobody knows how it's going to turn out uh the u.s uh, the, the latest news is that the U.S. has uh, the president has signed into law the uh, human rights and the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act. And then China has retaliated in a sense by saying that our naval ships are no longer allowed to dock uh, in Hong Kong. And there's been some targeted sanctions against various uh, NGOs that uh, are located in Hong Kong. So, yeah, it's a very fraught situation at the moment. Hmm. So what little I know about Hong Kong in general is that the British, I guess, had some sort of control over it for a long time. It was handed over to China. I imagine that 
if you're getting this level of violence, this has been brewing for a while. Um, and I'm guessing something sparked it to go. But are you familiar with the relationship China has with Hong Kong and how much control and I guess how the people feel about that? And has there been other things going on for years now? And what actually sparked these protests? Yeah, so the British had control over Hong Kong as a colony for uh, about 150 years. And there was a with a brief interim where Japan had control during World War Two. But then in 1997, essentially, they handed over uh jurisdiction over Hong Kong to China, but under the condition that it would maintain its political autonomy and maintain this system that was based on something called the basic law, which is similar to the, our constitution, you might say, and uh, that China would need to respect that autonomy for the next 50 years. So you can do the math, 2047 is when that would come to an end. And what there has always been a little bit of tension there, as, as you can imagine. But, uh, you know, once uh, if you take the history back even a little further, once Mao died and um, his successor, uh, um, Deng, uh, once Deng Xiaoping, you know, came to power, he came in with the idea of <clears throat> reforming China, um, we had what was known as the economic miracle of the 70s, where, you know, China started to finally open up its its markets and, uh, you know, the the Communist Party, while still, you know, the sole party in power and still communist in name, kind of, you know, gave up on some of the more do doctrinaire Marxist aspects that that Mao had tried to implement and there was this kind of, you know, burst of uh, prosperity. And, and Hong Kong, because it had been under the British system, already was kind of like the economically prosperous, you know, gem there of China. And so they were looking at that. And so for a while there, everything was was kind of copacetic because things were going in that direction. And what really changed the dynamic were a couple of things. One was the ascent of the current uh, president of China, uh, Xi Jinping, which we can talk a little bit more about him later, if you like, um, who his his outlook was really to kind of reconsolidate power in the party. Um, and then just China's continual, you know, they have China mainland China has become an economic powerhouse in its own right. And so it's become less economically dependent on Hong Kong. And so they do have more leverage to start encroaching. But the real um, inflection point here, what what were the, the spark, uh, as you put it, was this extradition bill that uh, so it's it's kind of a random seeming thing, but a uh, Hong Kong resident and his girlfriend went 
over to Taiwan for a vacation and then he murdered her in a hotel room and like mm. chopped up her body and put it in a suitcase. And then this and then he came back to Hong Kong and Taiwan wanted to extradite him to try him for murder. Uh, so that all seems like, yeah, of course, he should go stand in trial for murder. But the legislature took the, uh, under. So you have to also understand how the, the law works there is that the executive decides what the legislature should consider. So uh, on, they put on the agenda that there should be this extradition law with Taiwan, but it would also uh, because Taiwan is, you know, this is another controversy, but Taiwan is mm -hmm. part of China, uh, that that would also make it easier to extradite people to China and uh, to mainland China. And that is what really sparked this because there had already been some basically kidnappings of dissidents in Hong Kong brought to China. And there's there were earlier protests and so there that was the spark people said we don't want this um extradition law we don't we are, we're afraid that it just further erodes our autonomy uh that it's going to be abused that it's going to be used to target political dissidents and we want it withdrawn and the government kind of uh just let this protests play out a little bit and then they talked about withdrawing it and didn't do it and the protests continued and then they suspended it which is not technically withdrawing it and the protests continued not good enough and then they also grew in scope uh you know their the demands grew they they ended up coming up with five distinct demands um and a lot of them were focused on what unfolded with the police brutality, you know, they wanted an independent investigation of the police. They wanted um, exoneration of all the arrested protesters. Uh, they didn't want, you know, the, the them participating in these demonstrations to be held against them. Uh, and then perhaps most consequentially, they wanted the uh, chief executive of Hong Kong, uh, Carrie Lam, to resign and for them to be able to actually elect their chief executive, uh, universal suffrage. And that has really been the sticking point uh, because they're not letting go of that and the government really doesn't want that. So was there much evidence that the, that Hong Kong would have extradited that uh, that guy on their own to Taiwan? Is it was it just kind of a an opportunity for the Chinese government to try to to implement this law, or or did did they feel like they needed to kind of take control of, of what was going on because they didn't think Hong Kong was going to do was going to do the extradition? Well, it was it the. The complication is just that they there's a lot of uh, in any sort of extradition, there's a lot of, you know, bureaucratic wrangling that has to go on. And what they were looking for was, you know, we need to just streamline this process so that it's basically okay. like going across state lines in the U.S. Um, that's their position. But um, 
that what the the people the uh, particularly the younger uh people in hong kong uh what they see what uh mainland china is becoming they see this growing surveillance state they see what is happening to the uyghur population who are essentially being put in re-education camps um and they have seen china become increasingly aggressive in the ways that they have kind of tried to intrude into what they they have come to view as you know their own distinct system and culture and so there was like there was the umbrella there was the umbrella movement of uh 2014 um and that uh was similarly sparked by something that was not uh on its face it's not exactly clear why um this would be the impetus for a uh a revolution but um they i mean uh it, it came uh sorry i just lost my train of thought there <laughs> that's all right yeah um but we're kind of i guess talking about the 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 hong Konger. see this is kind of a canary in the coal mine kind of deal um yeah um, but that yeah. that makes sense. I mean, we see we see everything that's happening in China um, with all of the the uh, what's it called the surveillance going on, and it is terrifying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we see a little bit happening over here, and then we compare it to China, and it's like, man, it's not that many steps um, potentially to to get there. So I think it's certainly warranted to to be at least extremely suspicious <laughs> yeah and and oh i remember what where i was going with that now uh, so there was um uh, so one of the 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 hong kong movement is a decentralized leaderless movement but there's been a couple of figures who've become kind of the spokespeople or just more prominent and one of them is joshua wong who uh when he was 16 years old uh, made uh, a name for himself by launching this this movement because there was an attempt to rewrite the Hong Kong school curriculum to really whitewash a lot of um, mainland uh, a lot of the Communist Party's uh, you know mm -hmm. crimes over the years and uh, I don't know if you know this but you know people in mainland China don't even know that Tiananmen Square is like a thing that right. happened right. Yep. So, uh, you know, he took a stand there and now has become uh, one of these youth activists. And there was another controversy about a uh, a high speed rail uh, connecting directly from the mainland to uh, Hong Kong. So, um, you know, again, these are like that's something where it seems like, OK, they're just building infrastructure. But for them seeing getting that physical link there mm -hmm. uh they just see that as um an encroachment on um their their autonomy um which uh you you all we also have to you know distinguish that from independence they're not a fully independent nation but um they're kind of just trying to hold on to whatever they can uh, at, at this moment so you mentioned earlier they have a i guess a arrangement similar to our constitution do you think hong kong's culture how would you describe it is it similar to the united states um 
do they have they I'm, I'm sure they all know about Tiananmen Square and uh, the communist history and that's why the, the Chinese wanted to whitewash it um, but how, how would you describe their culture is it pretty open pretty free is it similar to the United States is it you know obviously it's going to be different they're on the other side of the world but but I think maybe you know what I'm getting at yeah I mean their culture is quite different from the U.S. It's a very international uh, cosmopolitan city um, because it's just this like international finance hub. So that's a mixing of a lot of different cultures there. Um, but in terms of their kind of cultural values, there's mm -hmm. definitely a similarity there because they have that basic law, which is kind of based on British common law. And obviously our constitution is also based on british common law and so we have that commonality and that's one reason why you sometimes see this imagery of the hong kong protesters waving american flags or mm -hmm. even singing the national anthem part of that is like a cultural association and part of it is they're trying to communicate to a u.s audience you know we'd, we'd love your support now, I, I, a lot of the pictures I see, and, and generally when you see protests for anything, it's usually younger people. Um, do you think this movement is pretty wide in Hong Kong, or is this a vocal minority of people? Is this a bunch of teenagers and early 20-year-olds, you know, really pushing it far? What, what can you tell me about these protesters and, and you know, kind of the feeling in Hong Kong for the protesters? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and the the people that are out on the streets are overwhelmingly on the younger side. And this is definitely a youth-driven movement. <clears throat> the question of how much support uh, they have in the wider population. Um, I mean, one thing to note is some of these protests have been huge uh thousands and in one case i think even approaching a million people out on the streets and this is wow. uh, you know uh this is uh a city of seven million so that's a sizable amount of population <laughs> yeah that's yeah okay. that's and, pretty incredible yeah but then the other thing that really answered that question were there were uh in a week or two ago, there were elections and the pro-democracy faction swept in, um, I mean, won a huge number of seats. And this was even in kind of rural regions. They were taking seats that were never even thought, I think, in contention. So that's a signal that this does have widespread support. And uh, attempts, there's been attempts to say that, you know, this is some sort of uh, operation or like an intelligence operation or something. And uh, that uh, is clearly been undermined as mostly um, Beijing's propaganda at this point. Oh, so that's. Yeah, because I, I have been hearing people kind of saying that, like, suggesting that the CIA is involved. So that's that would be more uh, like Chinese that, propaganda coming through. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of Chinese propaganda. So 
obviously there are CIA assets all around the world, uh, including in Hong Kong. Um, but uh, to to attribute a movement of this size and endurance and breadth as we've just seen with the recent election i think does strain credulity mm-hmm. and also i've not seen any direct evidence presented that there's really you know much to it yeah no, that makes sense i think we uh got a little trigger happy with with pointing at, at certain things where it could be plausible but yeah. You know, it, it, sometimes the information that's in front of us uh, <laughs> points to other things. Yeah, and, and it's, all, it, it it's is, always it's always good to ask these questions, I think, in in foreign policy and, you know, try to look at every angle. Um, but at some point you have to accept that people who are who grew up in a certain system, enjoying certain freedoms and kind of staring down the barrel of a gun it's pretty plausible that they would be willing to take to the streets and kind of fight for their freedoms. Yeah, certainly. It would be like a lot of, uh, if there was some sort of protest movement happening in the U S that was organic and, and people were just like, Oh, it's just Russia meddling. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, come on, give us some credit. That that's a good, that's a good analogy because, you know, to the extent that there's any, u.s influence i would put it on that level like i'm sure that you know people in various intelligence agencies are supportive of this movement obviously the movement's gotten the support of the u.s congress and even the president at this point uh for complicated reasons in in the case of the president but um that doesn't detract from kind of the underlying ethos and power of the movement. Right. So you were, you attended some of these protests, right? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that was like? Um, because yeah. I mean, I see, I see it on TV and, and pictures and you see these just like, you know, throngs and throngs and of people. Um, are they all like that? I, you kind of mentioned that there's some in the thousands, maybe a million, but like, um, what, what's like a, an average, if if one exists, an average protest kind of look like. Yeah. Um, well, that's one of the interesting things about it is because of the decentralized nature. There's not exactly an average. A lot of these things are just like impromptu pop up things where they'll just like be like, we're all showing up at this mall and chanting our slogans for like an hour. Hmm. Um, or they'll you know, snake through a certain promenade or something. Um, and it's like a flash mob type mentality. And that's very intentional. Um, their one of their mottos is be like water, which they adopted from Bruce Lee, which just means like maintain that fluidity. Their earlier protests in 2014 were more modeled on like the Occupy movement where they would take up spaces, but the problem with that is it's easily cleared and they're now a more nimble mm. adversary against the police. Um, they're communicating via encrypted channels, anonymous accounts, and that is a lot harder to stop. And I think that, again, explains the endurance of the movement. Now, one that I attended was a march 
from this kind of shopping center down to a uh, soccer match. It was a World Cup qualifier between Hong Kong and Iran. And uh, their plan, which they executed, was to uh, boo the Chinese national anthem, Mm. uh, which was pretty remarkable to Mm. see. Like, it was a really cool experience Mm. to, like, be at the soccer match where everyone's, like, cheering for their team, which lost, (laughs) unfortunately, (laughs) for them. But uh, at the same time, you know, chanting political slogans, um, just a really interesting and memorable experience uh that i'll uh you know keep with me forever uh for sure yeah that's pretty pretty interesting because you think that you know we have all sorts of sporting events in the u.s and you know most even the hardcore libertarian i don't think would go there and start trying to boo the national anthem yeah and actually uh (laughs) there's been talk about uh banning that um, it's banned, uh, you know, in mainland China, obviously, but uh, they're trying, they, at least at the time I was there, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the status of it is now, to be honest, but they were trying to, uh, you know, enact a ban on, on booing it. Um, but that was kind of like in the background and they're just like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and uh, boo this tonight. So I can't imagine that would go over well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. So are these protests pretty peaceful as as far as what the the protesters set out to do? Um, because we see we've seen you know plenty of protests in this even in this country and around the world uh, where there's a lot of you know property damage and they're just kind of going out and making a ruckus. Uh, they are they pretty under control when they go out or does it uh, vary? Yeah, it varies greatly, uh, and I'm sure you've seen the videos that have been coming out of there, like there's certainly been violence and property damage. And I mean, there was one really horrific video a couple weeks ago where uh, it, it appeared that some demonstrators actually set a counter demonstrator on fire. Um, and it was mm. horrifying. Oh, that's that's um, what that was. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that was that things was crazy. Things, you know, spiral out of control sometimes. Um, And there's a real antagonism with the police where they're shooting rubber bullets and tear gas at them and they're throwing stuff at the police. Um, So, yeah, these are not exactly the most peaceful protests uh, at this point. I think they started with that ambition, but um hasn't hasn't exactly worked out that way sure so speaking of the police like who are the police are they hong kongers are they chinese like how does how does the police force in hong kong work yeah uh the police are hong kong police um and this is what you have to understand about the government in hong kong is that they have their own government but it's perceived and I think rightly so as many of them being puppets of Beijing. Um, Carrie Lam in particular, because she's not elected, she mm-hmm. is selected via a sort of arcane, like electoral college process that is not like our electoral college, even where like it more or less mirrors the popular vote. It's, their whole system is set up 
with uh, these stakeholders. So like you have people from the business community, people from like the education sector who all have differently weighted votes. And because the system is so, I don't know, uh, arcane in that way, it can kind of be rigged in a way that it always comes out in favor of the uh, the Chinese government to get their people stacked both in the executive and also about half the legislature is not directly elected. And that's another thing they're trying to change. They want direct elections of the entire legislature and the executive just so that all this kind of monkey business with getting Beijing being able to get their people in there is uh, is obviated. And, um, you know, at one point uh, it, it, it seemed to work and make sense because it was like made sense for the business community to have a stakeholder. But China, the Chinese government has infiltrated uh, certain sectors of the economy. As, as you may know, in, in China, most of the major businesses have, uh, the government has a major uh, state, stake in them, uh, people on their boards. And this has also happened in Hong Kong. And so that's how they exert influence. And that explains the disconnect uh, between what the people of Hong Kong want, uh, which is being expressed to the degree that they can vote in the elections and what they are getting uh, in their government. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's it's it's so funny trying to because we I mean, we, we know our own world. And so you you look at this or at least I look at this from from kind of the lens of, of where I am in the United States and this this situation where you're like you you're already kind of your own country but you're not well you're not your own country but you have i guess the one country two system kind mm-hmm. of thing that's yeah. it's it's so weird <laughs> but it makes sense that you know it's just this kind of slow erosion yeah um and it's also something you know i know you're anarcho-capitalists uh and not into the idea of democracy necessarily uh but something that all libertarians and i think even anarcho-capitalists have to kind of grapple with here is the in this case they are trying to use democracy to secure their liberty like there's a pretty clear uh connection there just because their basic law is kind of like rooted in those liberal values like you can see that you know democracy doesn't always work out that way sometimes it really is just like a giveaway to the mob but in this case uh a lot of the and we can talk a little bit about the pol- the politics the internal politics of the movement if you want but um they are all kind of united on this um meta question of like we all want democracy so that we can like secure this these basic rights of going out on the streets without being arrested and uh harassed and and having free speech rights and all these things that we all value as libertarians and classical liberals and anarcho-capitalists. 
Yeah, I think that'd be interesting to get into. And I, yeah, I don't hold it against him for no, you know, trying to everyone use Everyone wants self-rule, for sure. Yeah. You know, no one I wants mean, to be ruled by Beijing when you're not in Beijing, you know? Right. Um, so, no, I totally get that. Yeah, they. I think they certainly have a better shot at getting what they want, or at least having it for longer by using some sort of self-determination, even if they're doing that through democracy. Uh, yes. uh, I, I'm sure they don't have uh, Rothbard and, and all the people we're reading on their shelves to be able and to have this. Self, uh, self-determination is the phrase that they really uh, use a lot. That's kind of the, and it's also become a very controversial phrase. Uh, there's been attempts, some of them successful, to ban some of these younger activists who've won elections from serving because they promote the principle of self-determination. Hmm. And so that's coming from the, the, I guess the puppet Hong Kong. So yeah. wait, it just, they, they elected people and then they just said, Nope. Yeah. And that was, you know, in it was, this was after the 2014 protests. Okay. So wow. then after that, a uh, bunch of these youth leaders ran for office one and then uh i mean a couple of them were disqualified because they gave very incendiary speeches during their inauguration or their swearing in um and i interviewed one of these people uh and he actually is more of a separatist uh or wants hong kong independence that's another big controversy is the the chinese government wants to portray them all as what they call separatists because it's a scary word uh, that gets all the locals, you know, to, to all the people on the mainland to uh, turn against them and see them as like these uh, evil or like subversive people. Um, But there are people who there, there is a contingent in there who actually is for total independence, but it's kind of a more radical fringe. Uh, But then uh, recently, there have been uh there was joshua wong was disqualified from even running uh because uh he had made a statement kind of vaguely saying one day he supports a vote on whether or not you know hong kong should be uh uh independent once they get to that point in 2047 where they have to be folded back like that's the level of like digging they're doing to disqualify certain people from uh serving even though they would have you know in some cases have been elected or would have a really good shot now do you think that sep- using quote separatist movement is fairly popular there i mean i think in the united states and if um you know i don't know texas wanted to secede a lot of people would be like they're crazy we've been a country here for 200 whatever years um you can't secede, fault the civil war, we decided, whatever their their rationale is. But in Hong Kong, they were part of uh, Britain, or at least uh, British colony for a long time. And that wasn't that long ago. There's a lot of people alive in 1997 who are still alive today who remember that. So they don't, I mean, as far as I know, unless I'm off here, they don't have a long history of being part of China. When that transition happened, I would imagine. I mean, if that happened here, where I went from under British rule, and as ANCAPs, we all, you know, whatever, don't like any rule. I get that. But if I knew China was coming in, I'd be pretty pissed, and I wouldn't want to be part of China um, or part of that communist government at all. So, is that a more kind of, um, I guess, popular 
thought to secede or to be a separatist or and that's interesting at the end of 2047 if china just knows they have to run out the clock and then you're part of china uh it's not that far away really 27 28 years whatever 27 whenever that the date is um so i guess my question is is are there a lot of separatists and would you define or or would joshua wong say that he is a separatist no joshua wong would not say that he's a separatist he would uh, say that he is for uh, ha- maintaining Hong Kong's autonomy, one country, okay. two systems. Um, and that is the line that uh, pretty much all of the you know mainstream of the movement takes is they want to keep that's like the centrist position. Okay. Um, and even though Joshua Wong is is not exactly a centrist, he's more of like he's he's a little bit of a a lefty actually uh but um he also you know is one of the public facing figures here and none of them they just know i can't say what they know in their hearts but they they know that uh this is a line that is used against them um and i suspect that's because maybe not a lot of People, you know, they don't want to alienate. I, I haven't seen the polling on, or, or know if there is polling on, you know, how many people want to be completely independent right. from Hong Kong. But I think it's like they can't risk alienating the people who don't want to go that far. Um, sure. And I think maybe some of them just also genuinely, and it's a, it's a real open question. Like, how would that? work how would they be an independent nation how would they be able to defend themselves um i don't know maybe it would uh but uh it's really when you hear any of like any of the people most of the people i talk to for this uh who you will see in my videos if, if you watch them uh do not advocate for full independence there was one person i i spoke to who uh I mentioned earlier, uh, Baggio Sixtus Lung, who is for uh, independence. Um, and it's a very, he's almost like uh, a, a like, uh, pop, like a right-leaning populist type. Like he, it's very like cultural for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is that contingent who, you know, he's like gone out and protested against, uh, you know, immigrants or even like tourists coming from the mainland. Like he wants to keep Hong Kong, Hong Kong and um, against, you know, globalism and all that stuff. So that's what why I was saying, like the actual ideological makeup of the movement is is quite diverse. And there's like some fringes on the right and the left. There's like an Antifa type contingent. Um, and then I would say, call like the Joshua Wong's Demosistos, like a sort of like center left type party. And then there's even just like straight up centrist Democrats, um, who are just, you know, they also believe in the right for the people to, uh, vote and elect their representatives, um, but don't necessarily want to, you know, shake up the system or anything. Um, so the important thing for all of them is that 
they agree on this this larger question of they don't want Beijing calling the shots for them and they don't want you know the kind of total surveillance mentality that uh Xi Jinping has uh in China and um they want to uh maintain freedom of speech so what is what I know Hong Kong has historically been pretty laissez-faire as far as the economy goes um and yep. what is their what is their free speech like though because you you just said that they you know want to maintain their free speech but it, it there are also people getting um not allowed to hold office because they said something a little bit wrong or wasn't they conveniently interpreted it as being a little bit as being separatist so is like free speech over there different from what americans might consider free speech or how how does that kind of work over yeah yeah i mean you can see that there there are some differences there like i don't think that there's much that you could say that would disqualify you from running for office in the u.s at at this point certainly not legally at this point yeah um but uh yeah that so the controversy with the self-determination is that um they claim that there is basically you know under the basic law that they need to acknowledge that uh, Hong Kong is part of China. And anyone who's trying to, uh, anyone who does not acknowledge that can not uh, like fa- faithfully, you know, uh, complete the swearing in ceremony. It's something mm-hmm. like that. Um, in terms of free speech, you know, they, they have a free press, uh, but, uh, you know, how free is your, and also they have freedom of assembly, um, which is why, um, you know, one of the former governors described the situation in Hong Kong as this peculiar place where there's liberty without democracy. And that's why, I mean, protest has really been their only recourse at times, because if, they're voting in all the people they can and they still can't kind of take uh, control of the legislature and the legislature can't even really do anything without the executive who they also can't vote on. Like that's not really a useful avenue for affecting political change. Uh, but, you know, occupying spaces or just making life really inconvenient or, you know, hurting the economy until the government gives in. It's actually worked in the past and they've gotten concessions. In this case, they actually got the extradition bill mm-hmm. completely withdrawn, um, but they they still want more. I, I don't know if they're going to get it, um, but a lot of them told me that they're viewing this as like, this is their last stand. It's now or never. If, if they, if they give in now and they don't get the opportunity to, you know, put up some more bulwarks against that, um, you know, encroachment from the mainland, then it's, uh, pretty much game over. Uh, so that's, that's how a lot of them are thinking about it. And that's why you're seeing the persistence and, and the willingness to, you know, engage in real like street battles uh, at this point because uh, they just see their entire uh, future at stake. Um, but I think I <laughs> forgot exactly what your original question there was. 
Uh, just about what what the free speech was like over there. I, th- oh, I think you yeah. answered it. Okay, pretty well. Right. Yeah. Um. Oh, well, but one other thing I was going to say about free speech was like, you know, how free is your speech when you're a bookseller selling books that are critical of the Chinese president, and then you get kidnapped and then <laughs> kind of forced to record this hostage-like apology, and then mm. now are living in exile in uh, Taiwan, like that's what happened. That's the context. And so like, if it's in the law, but that's what happens when you're too critical, um, or, you know, you're, uh, an activist in one of these movements, uh, and you get kind of stalked by the police and have your emails messed with and, uh, you know, all this, uh, harassment, um, none, you know, it, under the, and even like they kind of, you, they have the triad gangs there, which the police have been known to kind of enlist, uh, to do their dirty work for them. Like when all that's going on, like, even though you have free speech under the law, you know, in practice, what, what do you really have? Yeah. And I, I just saw a video this evening and I, I, it, well, I, I don't know how to verify it, but I, I'll assume it's true of a, uh, a Chinese guy being like interrogated by the police or like forced to apologize. He apparently made some joke or comment that was negative about the police on WeChat. And so they went and arrested him and they had him strapped down in this like big metal chair. It reminded me of the end of uh, 1984 when they were re-educating winston and they're like what did you do and he's like oh, i i made a joke sorry i was i had a little too much to drink and i made a comment about the police i'm very sorry that i did that and they're you know just kind of sitting there why'd you do that and just this incredible intimidation and just look at this guy just with metal bars strapped to his wrists and his arms and his legs yeah so i mean just imagine- like awful yeah. that's yeah. just unbelievable imagine that you're you know a 20 20 something living in Hong Kong that grew up with, you know, the internet and, uh, kind of enjoying a relatively free existence. And then you see videos like that, or you read about an entire population, uh, of, you know, Uyghur Muslims being reeducated in these camps that we don't even know exactly what's going on inside of. Um, probably going to put up a little bit of a, a fight if you think that, that's coming soon to a uh, neighborhood near you. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, I mean, we as Americans, especially libertarians, you know, we, we've got, there's plenty to complain about what our government does, what it does to us. But at the same time, I mean, you look at videos of that and you realize <laughs> how lucky, how lucky yeah. we are to, to not live under that because that's yeah. just absolutely brutal. And I think there's a lot that you could learn from uh, what they're doing. Uh, both they're both appreciating that as, as you said, and also just the tactics that they are using to, uh, resist, uh, tyranny and surveillance. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're not there yet, but you never know. And, uh, it's good to observe, uh, you know, you mentioned WeChat earlier. None of them in a second would use WeChat because that's a Chinese uh, social media app that is heavily surveilled. They're extremely skeptical of any, you know, um, technology that was made 
uh, on the mainland. They tend to use uh, Telegram for messaging, Signal. Uh, I mean, Telegram is a really popular one because they can build these huge channels and like people can join without giving up their phone number. And uh, that's what they use for a lot of organization uh, tactics or uh, organizational communications. Um, they even use, make these de facto uh, or uh, like ad hoc uh, decentralized networks where they use uh, blue, um, uh, AirDrop, uh, mm-hmm. the Bluetooth mm-hmm. um, technology on iPhones to send messages and memes uh, in these like local networks to tell people, you know, we're going to be moving up this way. Here's the map uh, of our route or, uh, you know, the route has changed now. So we're all going to be going this way or like we're handing this thing back. So keep handing it back. So they're very clever and and they wear, they wear, uh, you know, face masks everywhere so that they're, they don't, uh, they're, uh, don't get caught on a camera or get sanctioned at work or whatever. Um, they there's uh they've learned how to you know diffuse the tear gas and yeah, uh, I've, seen, yeah. I've seen videos that they have like a, a leaf blower and someone runs and pours water on it. it's 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 pretty pretty amazing what they're figuring out yeah so there's a there's a lot to uh learn uh and uh just kind of absorb uh just in case anyone is ever you know facing a similar situation uh, anywhere else in the world yeah so I know you kind of said in the beginning, you don't know, no one really knows what's going to happen, but do you have any feel for how, how far the Chinese government would kind of go before um, one side or the other backs down? Because I, just talking to people, I, I hear some people say, oh, you know, they kind of just maybe have to give in. They, they don't want to, the, the protesters are pushing this hard. How far do they want the black eye of of doing something kind of nasty? And then the, other people kind of say, no, they'll just go in and just mow everybody down if they have to. Do you have a feel for kind of what their what what the the temperament of the Chinese government is with that? Oh, it's uh, so one of the things is that I mean, what they're really worried about is destroying their economy. That's one major concern and there's this ongoing trade deal with trump and uh unfortunately hong kong is kind of being used as a pawn in that somewhat um you know i i wasn't sure if trump was going to sign that uh the human rights and democracy act into law or not uh and i think that it was entirely you know instrumental on his part he just i guess figured that it helped him Mm-hmm. uh in the in the trade deal and, and that's the kind of interesting thing too the the kind of views of trump there uh they they vary as as well because like i said it's an it's a diverse ideological group so depending on where they're coming from they're going to view them differently but some of them view trump favorably just because it's a kind of like and the enemy of my enemy type situation, mm-hmm. like right. they're if they're like if he's like tightening the screws on them and making life a little more difficult, then great. Um, but uh, you know, we all also understand that Trump, you know, has no principles, and uh, <laughs> he he, if anything, I'm sure uh, he seems to view uh, 
these strong leaders like Xi Jinping is uh, admirable on one level. So mm-hmm. he's not their he's not their friend uh, uh, in any like grander scheme, but you know perhaps in in some like smaller strategic ways. Um, and as for you know what China is willing to do, you know that's uh, they they they're what China has really. Uh, been pushing into new and uh, exciting uh, domains now is uh, soft power. And so, you you know, the what we saw happen with the NBA and that entire controversy, that is China projecting its soft power. And that's uh, how it would, that seems to be how they prefer to do things, uh, you know, kind of using the uh, economic influence to get its way. And I guess, you know, that that is preferable to the alternative. Um, I do think that if they see this, you, you know, if if it becomes a choice for them between um, like. I'm trying to think what it would take for them to to act. I I think it would have to be, you know, some sort of um, escalation coming from the demonstrators, some Mm -hmm. sort of violent act uh, that was perceived as, you know, a challenge to their power. Um, I don't I don't know exactly what that would be, but if they get that that pretext, um, I think that is really all they would need um, to go in and and do something really terrible that we don't want to see. Um, but I'm, I try to hold out some hope that there, there's an alternative path there. And I think that from the, from my view of the situation, they just need, they need to give um, the major concession, which is the ability to, uh, elect their own people like at this point i don't see this dying down unless that happens um for all the reasons that we've discussed in this conversation um so unless and until that happens i think there's gonna be a major impasse and like i don't know maybe uh it can die down especially with the recent elections um, maybe if, if, uh, the people that they just elected actually are able to advance some of their agenda, maybe that will help calm things down. But, uh, it's, again, it's one of the, it's like the ticking time bomb situation. Like if, if they don't, or if they continue, if they obstruct the newly, uh, elected members of the legislature, then this is only going to drag on and probably escalate Hmm. yeah that that makes sense uh slappy do you have anything else i had one kind of final thing to kind of wrap this up yeah no i know we want to be respectful of zach's time so yeah what what do you got rallo so zach for people that are kind of looking at this whether they're americans or or really anyone out there kind of observing what's going on and and in hong kong what do you think is the most important takeaway that that we can we can see from from what's going on there like how should we observe this um what's kind of the right lens to to be looking at this at, with i think 
the right lens to look at it with is just to listen to what the uh, figures in this movement are saying and and the language <clears throat> that they're speaking. You know, they're really not asking for anything that sounds terribly unreasonable to me. They're they're asking for the promise that was made to them, which is that they would have uh, an autonomous political system till at least 2047 to be respected. And they're asking for the right of, uh, to, you know, elect the people who they believe will safeguard that promise, uh, in that system. Uh, so that's one lens to look through, I think that, uh, is important. And then the other lens is just to, learn from what they're facing uh, and notice, uh, you know, the patterns of authoritarianism, the ways that surveillance, uh, which might seem subtle at first, uh, can be slowly amped up and then before you even know it, used in ways you never would have imagined. Uh, and to just kind of constantly be vigilant of that and and take countermeasures um you know you don't have to be like a paranoid prepper about it or anything but just realize that you know things can turn um fairly quickly sometimes in in a dark direction and it's good to to have um safeguards and i think embracing principles like um, decentralization and embracing uh, anti-surveillance technology like encryption, you know, uh, doing everything you can to push the popularization of these kind of things and and just staying on top of, uh, you know, what what's going on, who's trying to uh, surveil, who's trying to push authoritarianism and um, doing all we can to check that in little ways uh, as we proceed so that, um, you know, it's not too late if, if something takes a turn. Sure. No, I think that's great. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. You want to tell everyone where they can find you? Sure. Uh, you can find me at uh, reason.com. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. My handle is the at the abridged Zach. Um, and, uh, my videos go on reasons, uh, YouTube channel, which was just YouTube slash recent TV. Uh, and I have a, I have one coming out this week on homelessness, um, which, uh, I think, uh, it, it's a pretty in-depth, uh, look at that, uh, ever worsening crisis. And, uh, I hope, uh, everyone has a chance to check that out and, um, all the Hong Kong videos are up there on that channel. Um, there's three of them. Uh, and uh, if this was interesting to you, uh, definitely watch those because they'll uh, go a bit deeper into all this. Yeah. Awesome. We'll uh, link to all that on the show notes page. We'll also link to the, uh, your interview with uh, Nick Gillespie on uh, oh. the Reason podcast. Great. That's Thanks. One. That's a good one to listen to, too. Appreciate so, that. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you, Zach. This uh, I, I learned a ton, and Same. I think this is really great information to kind of, we see this happening, and it's kind of easy to just assume we know what's going on, but 
it's nice to have someone actually went over there to explain a little bit on it. So, yeah. Um, th- yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Zach. Have a good one. All right, bye. And we're back. We want to thank Zach uh, Weissmuller again for coming on. It was a lot of great information, and we thank him for sharing it. Uh, so let's talk, talk about a free market success story, Slappy. Um, what you got? So I don't think I brought this up, but I brought a couple of weeks ago, I brought up the orthokeratology at the eye doctor, the mm-hmm. uh, contact lens that kind of reshapes your eyes. So when I did end up going to the con to the, the eye doctors to get a, uh, to get new contacts and everything. And I did ask him about it and I said, yeah, I, I checked with my insurance and they don't cover it. And I know insurance doesn't typically cover it. So what's the deal with that? And he, what did he pull out a sheet? And started to explain all the process with me and then said, this is what the price is. Um, it was kind of a, an upfront cost and it, was, it wasn't it was cheap. Um, and then he said, after that, it takes a little bit more maintenance than you normally would get from an eye doctor to make sure everything's going well. So there's like an annual annual fee associated with it going uh, moving forward after you get the, the initial lenses. And they have it, you know, there's a slight chance that it doesn't... Uh, doesn't work for you so it's kind of built into the price they say hey that's that's kind of on us but other things other issues like if you lose it or you break it then it's on you to to buy to, to have to buy a new one so it was funny you know normally you go to the eye any doctor and when things are covered by insurance you know if you ask well how much is this going to cost and it's like <laughs> no one knows it's uh that is true i do that at the doctor i do that well, like when we take the kids to the doctor just for fun, yeah. uh, just to see what their answer is. And it's always, I don't know. But this one wasn't covered by insurance. It had to be, you know, through out of pocket and they had it all there. And, and so I was able to say, you know what, um, this seems interesting, maybe one day, but not right now. So it was, it was nice. You yeah. know, I, I, I got my question answered. I want to know how much it costs. And, and it wasn't like, oh, you got to talk to 8,000 people from different insurance things so that was nice that was very nice so um uh to wrap up again uh we'll have all of the the places to find zach on reason on youtube and twitter over at the show notes page mcflula.com slash 173 uh so this is an interesting the, the hong kong protests is a pretty interesting thing to cover um it's not the only protest going on in the world. There's there's a couple other things going on, including in the Netherlands where they're doing it with tractors. So, um, you know, everyone thought it was just kind of a doing it a with stupid shtick. Doing it a stupid shtick that I was, uh, you know, mentioning tractors every episode. But you know, look at this: uh, tractors are being used to take down yeah. governments. So, and no you're doubt welcome. they're influenced you're by our show. Oh, absolutely. I mean. I don't even think that's in question. Right, right. So anything positive that happens in the world with it's protests. Directly resp- we're responsible for. Any negative things was not us. Yeah, it was Friends Against Government's fault. Correct. So, uh, yeah. Um, so I think that's a wrap. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next week. Peace.